Not that hard. Okay. So today we're starting a new series, um, the Hall of Faith, which is all about Hebrews chapter 11. The Hall of Faith, what we're going to do is get examples of how to live this life that we've learned about in, uh, uh, in the book of Hebrews. And if you, if you ever go back and listen to the podcast, the Athens to Jerusalem podcast, this will be actually in a completely separate uh, account. It'll be Athens to Jerusalem uh, Hall of Faith as opposed to Athens to Jerusalem Hebrews book. Uh, Matt set that up for us. And speaking of Matt, I think he pointed out the last time I spoke, I actually uh, misspoke because uh, I went through the red heifer sacrifice as the sacrifice that's outside the gate, that Jesus is the example of going outside the gate and we should go out and uh, embrace the reproach that he uh, took on our behalf. And Matt pointed out that it actually was a, a blood a blood sprinkling uh, reference rather than a ashes sprinkling for purification reference. And it turns out that the Day of Atonement actually does have a, uh, a burning outside the gate. There is a scapegoat where they say this, you know, the sins are on this goat. He goes out in the wilderness and it's a picture of the sins being... Uh, sent away, but there's another goat that they that they sacrifice, that they sprinkle on the atonement seat, I mean the mercy seat, and and this uh, goat actually um, is uh, burnt outside the camp. Same point, but I think I actually uh, missed the uh, Old Testament reference, which goes to show that you need to check everything I say with the, with the scripture. Well, we've been talking about the book of Hebrews in this outline that there's better priest and a better king. We've got a better priest with a better sacrifice and a better covenant. And we've got a better uh, king or a better son with a better um, administration and a better world. And uh, Jesus is, is inviting us to participate in these two better ministries, the better priest with the better sacrifice and a better covenant, by having the covenant written on our hearts, living this life from the inside out, and actually entering the Holy of Holies that's in heaven by faith to have our hearts sprinkled and having our conscience cleared so that we can do good works. And in doing so, have a priestly function as we live in the world in a way to show God to the world. And He's invited us to begin our participation in this better administration and in a better world actually living kingdom principles and bringing Christ into the world through our lives and in doing so preparing ourselves to also get this reward of being sons. And we've said that the way we participate in this better priest and better king administration and the way we accept this invitation is by uh, the word mixed with faith. Hearing what God has to say and believing it and doing it. That's, that's the way we actually participate. Well, what does this look like? Well, that's what the chapter 11 is going to give us. It's going to give us this hall of faith with examples from the Scripture of what it looks like to live this Hebrews-type life. If you think in terms of a triangle, and you have on one, one corner of the triangle, I have me. 
and another corner of the triangle I have humanity, and another corner of the triangle I have God, then I think we can take this uh, basic perspective to look at the three main points of Hebrews chapter 11, which we'll work with for now unless a a better uh, uh, perspective uh, arises as we go through. So we've got me, humanity, God, and uh, I have my actions and the way I think about things for myself, uh, what pleases me. All of us will, in all things, uh, orient ourselves towards what pleases us. Um, I, I occasionally will talk to people that claim they do not. I don't believe that. I think we're made that way to, to focus on what pleases us. And even God says, you know, I, I get, take great pleasure in this or that, or I don't take pleasure in this or that. It's the way we operate. The, the key thing is whether we have a true perspective and a, uh, an eternal perspective or whether we have a very temporal perspective. We have humanity. So I've got me on one corner. I've got humanity. I've got all the people around me, all of you and all the people I interact with on a daily basis. And you have a perspective about me. I have a perspective about you. And we influence one another. Remember what, what I think about you or what you think about me, it matters. When someone expresses an opinion about you, it's hard not to pay attention to that opinion, isn't it? Well, this is a part of our lives of whether we're pleased or not. Whether we're pleased about our own behavior will we'll be affected by whether other people, what other people think about that. And then we have God. And God is looking. And God is watching. And God has an opinion about all this as well. The question in Hebrews 11 is, are we going to include God in our calculation of what pleases us, what pleases others, and what pleases God? Are we going to leave Him out? Are we going to include Him? It turns out that the way we get our greatest pleasure is by pleasing God. The way we ultimately get the best uh, opinion from others is to please God. Even though on a temporal basis, it may not always seem that way. The primary component of poverty is a time frame. Uh, We've spent a lot of time in Africa, uh, in the equatorial Africa, southeastern Africa. And the first time I visited Africa, I was absolutely astonished because I expected it to be a poor place. I've never seen such a wealthy place. I was just flabbergasted. Uh, Volcanic soil. I I, I visited uh, the guy that drove us around. I visited his home. He had a fence. He had just taken these cane poles and just put them in the ground. And they started growing. I mean, they looked like fishing pole type stuff. Just started. He had a fence. It was alive. He had this, uh, you know, eight foot tall mango tree, and I said, "Wow, what a cool mango tree! How long did you go? Did you plant it? Oh, about eighteen months ago." It was just, it was, it was unfathomable how productive this place was. Gold and minerals and oil and gas and these giant rivers that you could go transport on. Uh, they didn't need air conditioning or heating. The weather is just about perfect year-round. I talked to a cab driver from Africa one time. He said it got below 50 in his country and there were people dying and 
you know, of <laughs> exposure. Because <laughs> it was so cold, you know, under 50 degrees. It's just, it's just darn near a paradise there. But they don't have any money. And there's almost no development. And uh, I came to start understanding why when they told me a story about the government that was trying to encourage development. And so they brought, uh, they would buy people chickens. And let me give you 30 chickens so you could start an egg producing business. And they would come back to check on the egg producing business. And inevitably they found that the business was closed because the people had eaten all the chickens. And the mentality is, why have eggs tomorrow when we can eat the chickens today? We see the same kind of thing in payday loans. There, I'm sure there's, of course, the occasional emergency where people genuinely need cash. Uh, based on my understanding, I've never actually had a payday loan, but uh, based on my understanding, most people come into these payday loans and it's basically just I can have the money today instead of waiting till Friday. It's just a time frame differential. Uh, drug, drug addiction is kind of this way. I will enjoy this today. The effects tomorrow, I'll worry about tomorrow. Well, that's, that's a big part of what we're going to talk about here. Of we're gonna, What kind of perspective are we going to have? Are we going to have a poverty perspective where we basically just look at today? Are we going to be payday loan people? Or do we want to be wealthy people? That, that's, that's a big part of what Hebrews chapter 11 is about. So, pleasing me, pleasing humanity, pleasing God. Are we going to live a transcendent life or a temporal life? And, and how are we going to live this uh, better king, better priest sort of uh, existence? Well, let's look at Hebrews 11 now. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We're going to live this better priest, better king life with the word mixed with faith. What, so, if we're going to do that, we've got to understand what faith is. Well, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Substance means you've got it. It's in hand. It's tangible. Hoped for means you don't have it. It's something that's yet to come. So how can you have something in hand that's yet to come? How can you do that? Contract. You can have it by contract with a guarantee. And that would be based on what? Anybody here ever have a contract that was broken? <laughs> sure, yeah. Anybody have a guarantee that wasn't performed on? Well, according to this passage, how can you have something that's... I'm giving you a Sunday school question here. I thought it was a soft toss. How can you have something and you can believe it? And that's, this is what faith is. It's, it's having the substance even though it's yet to come. And that's what faith is. It's the evidence of things not seen. The example I like to use is a courtroom where I bring up my you know, paper and say, I want to enter this into evidence as Exhibit A. And the judge will say, enter it into evidence. 
except in this case, I don't have anything in my hands. And I say, I would like to enter this into evidence. And what would the judge say? You don't have anything. Uh, Yes, but this is evidence of things not seen. Now what's he going to say? You're crazy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, because there's a sense in which faith is kind of crazy. Because it's not operating on things we can touch and see. That's sort of the point. You've got to believe in things you can't see. And that's going to come into play over and over again. Verse 2, For by it, faith, the elders, that's who we're going to be talking about here, those who have gone before us, obtained a good testimony. And we've gone through this briefly in previous uh, session. And I think... Um, this word testimony we talked about. Does anybody remember what the Greek word is here? Testimony? And I don't know how to pronounce it. Martyrio. Yeah, martyrio. Yeah, it's this, uh, it's this uh, martyr word. The word from which we get martyr. And it means witness. A witness. By faith, the elders obtained a good witness. That's how they came to be the kind of people that we want to that we want it to uh, uh, emulate is because of their faith. So faith is things that are coming later, not today, not payday loan, but the reward in the future. Faith is things believing for things we can't actually see. Going back to our triangle, can we see me and my pleasures? Can I see those things? Are they tangible? Pretty tangible, aren't they? Can I see all of you and get direct effect of when you praise me or criticize me? It's pretty tangible, right? I get a real emotional impact from that. Can I see God? Cannot see God, right? So you see the point here? If we're going to have a focus on pleasing God, we we have to have as tangible that which we cannot see. If we're going to have something focused on a tangible of evidence that we can't see and a reward that we can't yet hold as though it's substantive, we have to have faith. That's where we get this good witness. Now, what kind of witness are we going to have? If we have a witness, if we have a faith walk witness, who will that witness be to? Who will see it? God will see it. And who else? Those around us will see it. One more person will see it. We will. We'll see it. There's our triangle. Okay? I'll see it. I'll know it. You'll all know it. God will know it. You'll, you'll make a judgment that may or may not be true about my witness. God will know. Because as we learned in chapter 4, He judges the intents of the heart. So faith is the basis of a good testimony. Verse 3, By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so the things which are seen were not made of things that were visible, that are visible. This is a real interesting comment here. We've got to believe God who we can't see. But is there ample evidence that God's there? It's pretty clear, isn't it? Uh, this is an interesting uh, pre-cl- 
precursor to atomic physics here that he's talking about. The things that are made are made out of things we can't see. We're told that we have more space in our bodies than we have tangible stuff. And we should be able just to walk right through each other based on how much space there is between all these atoms and stuff. That's what we're told. Do they know? They don't really know. Their models keep changing. What they said when I was in college is different than what they say now because they keep learning more. The more they learn, the less they know. I saw a TED talk the other day and it said that they now believe that 95% of what of what we can see. 95% of what is, we can't see. Like What we can see is only 5% of what is. That's why they're building these super colliders. They're looking for particles that will prove that what we can't see is actually there. It's kind of interesting, huh? Supposedly, when I touch Terry here, uh, I'm not actually touching her. It's just that we have these uh, particles of positive and negative charges that are interacting with each other, but they don't actually touch. At least that's what, the, that's what the scientists say. Well, there's ample evidence that there's real stuff here. I could say, well, because of that, I don't really believe I'm here, or I don't believe you're here. Sometimes we might wish that was true. But, but there's ample evidence that there's stuff we can't see in operation. I can see Wally there. I'm pretty sure there's something going on inside all, all of him, and there's all these particles and stuff, but I can't really see that, but I can see the evidence that Wally's there. There's ample evidence God's there, but we can't actually see God. It still takes faith. What's visible is coming about because of something that's invisible. And that's, what, that's how God has set things up. So, if we're going to participate in this greater priest and greater king with the word mixed with faith, we've got to understand what faith is. And faith is when we act on that which we cannot see and we, we respond on a reward basis to something that's just as tangible as if we have it, even though it's far out in the distance. Verse 4, our first example. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness, martyreo, that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, what he brought to this sacrifice. And through it, he being dead, still speaks. The witness speaks. Who is Abel speaking to? He's speaking to us. How is he speaking to us? Through the Word of God. The triangle has a feedback loop. And we see this uh, multiple places in Scripture. We see a clause like, I will confess you before my Father. To me, that would be one of the neatest things to have happen. Um, I want to tell my dad all about what you did for me. Come on up here, I want to tell him all about it. Don't you love it when somebody comes and says, Come here, come here, come here, I want to tell my friend all this great, neat stuff you did. And here you got it before the king of the universe. Well, God likes to tell about people he likes. 
And he's telling about Cain, and it's still witnessing to us. This is the way it works. We witness to other people. And when, when our witness to God pleases God, it has impact. One of the rewards in uh, Revelation is, I'll put a pillar in the temple to commemorate your life. Now you go and you know, go to some famous place or whatever, a monument, you see statues of people. You can walk through the capital of the United States. You know, each state just gets two statues. And so there's only a hundred people in the, in the uh, national capital representing all the states. And for the most part, you go through, you have no idea who these people are. I mean, they're, they're the most famous two people from that state, and you don't even know who they are. But it's not going to be that way in the new earth. We're going to know who they are. And we have the opportunity for God to testify. And the basis on which He's going to do that is whether we live this life of faith. Verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. I'm kind of skipping over these two we've already covered in some degree of detail. Working towards getting to Noah, which we're making such good progress, I might actually get to talk about him today. By faith Enoch was taken away so he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Had this testimony, Martyreo, witness, he pleased God. His witness was so amazing that God actually took him without dying. Abel pleased God, cost him his life. His brother killed him as a result. Kind of reminds us uh, of chapter 13, verse 6. Chapter 13, verse 6, chapter 13, when we got the... So if you're going to live this life, here's some things you can look at, what it would look like. It's kind of sandwich of chapter 11 gives us specific people's lives to look at. Chapter 13 gives us actually a list of things to look at. And in uh, verse 5 it says, Let your conduct, conduct be without covetousness. This is a major principle of living this priestly, kingly life where we are going towards greatness. God's definition. For He Himself, it says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? All he can do is kill me. Uh, If you've ever looked at the Iliad, this is the central sort of theme in the book by my understanding. Uh, Achilles is the main character in this book. And the Iliad has shaped Western civilization. It was the major image that Greeks had in their mind about what life was about. And it continues on today. If you watch ESPN, you see the Iliad in spades. Um, This main character, Achilles, is offered a fundamental proposition by the uh, deities. And the fundamental proposition is, do you want to live a long and comfortable life or a short and violent one? And the long and comfortable life, no one will ever know your name. And if you live a short and violent life, your name will go down as a lasting legacy. And Achilles says, duh, 
What kind of choice is that? Of course, I'll take the short and violent life. Who wants to, who wants to live a long and boring life and no one ever knows you? I want to be famous. Well, every Sunday you can turn on and see guys submitting their body to major destruction in the NFL, shortening their life by, what is it, 20 years on average versus an average person. And they've made the same basic calculation. It's ingrained in our culture. Well, it's sort of the same thing here. I mean, your life is a vapor anyway. Why not live it in a way where we say, I want want to be a witness that lasts forever. What can man do to me? All they can do is kill me. Then it just ends short. What they can't do is take away what God has promised to me. They can't take it away. So we go back to chapter 11. Enoch got this fantastic reward without death. Abel got the fantastic reward but died early. It doesn't matter. I think uh, Dr. Deshaun told me that uh, in Eastern Orthodoxy they have a concept called white martyrs. And that's someone that has a witness but never dies. And uh, I've read things in the past where people say you can't get this ultimate reward unless you're a martyr, but martyrs don't all have to die. Well, I think that's right. That's what he's telling us here. We want to live a life that's a witness where if death's part of the calculation, we'll take it. If it's not, it's not. The point is we're not living life predominantly for man now. We're living life for God And He will make sure that everybody knows in due time. Enoch, in my opinion, is going to come back and die. Along with Elijah. Speculation on my part. But I think the two witnesses in Revelation are Enoch and Elijah. Because it's appointed unto man once to die. And these are two guys that never died. And you got these witnesses that come down and they spend three and a half years pronouncing um, judgment on the earth and at the end of it they die. And they have a big celebration because these two guys that persecuted the earth are finally dead. And then suddenly they get up and ascend into heaven again. I think it will be their second trip. You can read that on your own if you like. That's just speculation on my part. But Enoch's testimony was that he pleased God. Just a brief aside, if you go looking for that, you won't find it in Genesis. This comes from the book of Enoch, which tells us there's true things in places other than in the Bible. And here you have an apocryphal book referenced in the Scripture, and this is not the only place that's the case. That doesn't mean that Enoch belongs in the Bible. It does mean that there's things true other than in the Bible. This is his testimony. So he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I missed, I missed, sorry, I missed the first part of verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him, God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
Okay, so if we want to be like these elders who had this great testimony and we want to please God, what do we do? Well, the first thing we have to do is understand what faith is, and we've talked about that. And the second thing we have to do is, is understand this formula. You've got to do two things. You've got to believe two things if you want to please God. The first is what? What's the first of two things? You've got to believe two things. What's the first? That He is. That he is. Now, this word is here is a Greek word, esti, E-S-T-E-E, and it means is. Every time you see this in the Bible, it's translated is. The second is is a different word. It is, I'm sorry, it was E-S-T-I. It's gnomai, G-I-N-O-M-A-I. And it's variously translated is, be, Done, command, fulfill. And this word has the idea of making something happen. The first word, this ST, is existence. And the second one is make something happen. So the the way you could understand this verse is, without faith it's impossible to please Him, for him who comes to God must believe that He is, He exists. He's really who He says He is. Really. And He makes happen rewards. For those who diligently seek Him. And you can guarantee that He's going to make that happen. So we've got to believe those two things if we want to please God. He is. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He, may, he, will, he will make that happen. There's no question about it. Well, what does it mean to believe that He is? Does it just mean to believe that there is a God somewhere, someplace? I don't think so either. And I think this is one of our biggest challenges to believe that God's really who He says He is. Who do we really prefer God to be, really? What do we prefer God to be like? Huh? Who we say is. What, what, what do we like, like God to be like? Vending machine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just take out the money. What do you want? You want some you know, offering this week? Okay, I'll give the offering. This is what I want in return. This is actually how paganism works. Paganism, you go to the priest and you give them the thing, whatever it is, an animal, some money, and they give you what you want. So that's the way it works. The whole book of Job is wrapped around God as a vending machine. It really ticks him off when you say he's a vending machine. What else? What's another way we like to think of God? An indulgent parent. Absolutely, an indulgent parent. Uh, Somebody that you can just run wild and do anything you want to, and then when you fall and hurt your knee, they're there to fix the boo-boo, right? That's that's the way we like God. How about Santa Claus? That's kind of another form of vending machine, except personalized. We sit on his knee and tell him we've been good, and he gives us what we want. And that, and that sort of, that's kind of how, or a genie in the bottle. I think that's my favorite view of God because then he's not bothering me until I really need some help. But that's not who God is. Let's just go through some things of how God is. Probably not going to get to Noah today. <laughs> 
Well, God is our Father. And He's not a doting, indulgent parent. He's a real Father. He's our Shepherd. Now, if God is my Father, that implies something about me, which is what? I'm a child. (laughs) In my own estimation, I've made it to be about seven in this life. The way I come up with that is a seven-year-old is aware that there's an explanation for things but doesn't really understand what it is. And and even though a seven-year-old is self-absorbed, they can come out of themselves and actually have a conversation with you from time to time. And sometimes they think that you actually know what's best for them, even though it's rare. I think most Christians are still in their twos. So I'm I'm actually complimenting myself for being a seven-year-old. I think most uh, Christians are still... Uh, soiling their pants and claiming it's best. They're afraid of that giant ceramic throne that they have to sit on instead of soiling their pants. It's this scary high thing that, um, and they still think that pretty much they know everything, even though they really kind of know nothing. He's our Father. He's my Shepherd. Now, what does it imply for God to be my shepherd? What does it imply about me? I'm a sheep. When we went to Israel, we spent about 30 minutes watching these sheep out on the hills. It was a very humbling experience. Even though I only watched them for 30 minutes, it was readily apparent what stupid creatures they are. They actually follow each other around with their heads down by the feet of the one in front of them. They won't even look up. And our guide told us there's all these paths across the Judean hills that just crisscross everywhere. And he told us that if they get off these paths, pretty much they'll just fall down into the gulch because they have no balance. Had a really brilliant point, and that's completely the lost. I mean, the shepherd keeps him on the path. Yes, he does. But why, why was I saying all that? What's that? How stupid sheep are. How stupid sheep are. Yeah, they're really stupid. <laughs> they are. <laughs> I, oh, these, these paths are called paths of righteousness, by the way. That, that's, that's where that term comes from. And if you stay on the path, you can keep from falling down into the gulch. Well, you know, that's not a picture I like of myself, that I'm this uh, stupid creature without any balance that requires staying on this small path and somebody's got to tell me everywhere I've got to go or else I'm going to hurt myself. But that's the picture. Do I believe that I'm that way and God's that way? Well, if we want to please God, this is part of what we've got to start ingesting. That this is Him and this is us. God is gracious and full of compassion. You know, it's not unusual for people to get mad at God because things didn't work out. When vending machines broke, Santa Claus didn't come, the genie didn't come out of the bottle, indulgent parents making me eat my vegetables, and that's not right. 
and we think really God's mad at us or doesn't like us because he's not doing what we want him to. So we slam the door and say, I hate you. Your kids ever do that to you? It's kind of, but it's a ritual, I think, that they all have to do that. But do you think God, when when we say that, do you think God loses his self-esteem? No, but he's gracious and full of compassion. He wants the best for us. But he's also the avenger, the God of justice. Now, how much of the trouble that we have in our life is caused because we try to be the avenger? Instead of just letting God do his job, it's really we're supposed to hide behind his pants leg. It's just like our dog coach. has a big, deep voice and barks at anything scary until the gate opens. <laughs> and then he runs behind our legs. 90-pound chicken. He's our husband. That's an interesting description God has of us, of himself. He's our husband. Is this somebody I respect, defer to? Or is it somebody I nag at? He's my helper. The wifely function. Well, do I include my helper in my life? Or do I just talk to my helper when I want something? A meal. My brother, my friend. This is what Jesus said. I'm no call, I, now I call you my friend. Is this somebody I include in my life? He's high above the nations. He's the king. Greatly to be feared. It's not really Santa Claus. This is my dad. My dad really cares about me. My dad wants what's best for me. He's kind of scary because he's the king. God is love. God is knowledge. He wants our best for us. Do you really believe that whatever circumstances come into your life are orchestrated by God for your best interest? Excluding the ones that you create for yourself that are bad. We we can get off that path of righteousness and tumble down into the gulch. But even God, even when we do it to ourselves, God's there. And He can turn it into good. Do you really believe that? Well, if we want to please God, we have to believe that He is. He's who He says He is. Really. He has our best interest. He's rooting for us. He wants us to grow up and become everything He intended for us. And He'll help us get there. And He'll give us the knowledge to do it. But we have to grow up. If we want to do that, we have to believe that He is. Now, the other thing we have to believe is what? We have to believe He is. What's the other thing? He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He will make that happen. Let's just look at Noah for a second, and we'll go into Noah more depth next week. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. What's going on here? What, what was he divinely warned of that he couldn't see? <coughs> a flood. <coughs> Excuse me. 
A flood. It didn't even rain on the earth at this point in time. God says it's going to, the whole earth is going to be filled up with water. There was no logical explanation for how that could even happen. Never seen anything like this. He believed it. <coughs> Excuse me. He believed it so much that he built an ark like God told him to for the salvation of his household from this disaster. He got his reward of being delivered from this catastrophe. We are all seeking rewards all the time. To claim otherwise is just to deny reality. We like uh, approval from other people. We like uh, monetary reward. We like, what other kind of rewards do we like? Applause, praise. Getting M&M's, for going potty. Getting M&Ms. yeah, we do get the M&M's for going potty. <laughs> now we, we like rewards. We seek them all the time. The question is, are we going to seek the reward now, like the payday loan? where we can cash in our check we're going to get on Friday at a 20% discount so we can have it on Wednesday? Or are we going to invest? And are we going to seek something that is so much greater that comes later? As we go through these amazing characters, one of the things we're going to see over and over again is that people looked way out in the future. Let's just close with this one. Uh, we'll just peek ahead and we'll look at Moses. Look down to uh, chapter 25. Let's see, 26. Yeah, 20, 20, huh? Oh, sorry, verse. Chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So instead of focusing on right now, he's looking out into the future. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, that's this going outside the gate to esteem the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So here's Moses making a calculation. I can be rich... And I can be in the administration of the richest uh, country on earth now. Or I can invest my life, be reproached by this world, suffer loss in this world, and gain that which God has promised to me. And Moses said, that's an easy decision. I'm going for the big thing, not the thing that's passing away. So if we want to really get this maximum benefit of this life that Hebrews puts out here. We've got to believe that God is and that this reward is real. All the things that we want, they're there in massive quantity if we will make this investment and live this life. And it's not just in the future. It's also now as well. So next week, we'll start with Noah. And he is, and we'll dive into him in some detail he is quite the character and is uh, Peter's, one of Peter's fa- uh, favorite illustrations. And we'll go into Peter's uh, il- uh, explanation of how uh, Noah's example influences us. And we'll see, again, this life of me versus other people versus God and how I can maximize everything about me by pleasing God.
Thank you, Lord, for this uh, fantastic uh, uh, hall of faith where we have all these examples of people and some of them really, really flawed, which uh, we just praise you for uh, this this promise and this hope that even though we're really kind of stupid sheep and little children, you care about us so much and you want you want the best for us so much that you'll give us all this knowledge and all this help, all these amazing uh, investments where we can uh, uh, know you and grow up into this person that you've had us to be and have this uh, immense happiness and joy and fulfillment uh, that you've promised us. Uh, but God, I pray that you just help us really grasp this perspective where all these difficulties that we constantly come into are just steps along the way to all this, amaz- this amazing life that you've prepared for us. That we may learn to accept d- these uh, trials that come into our life as, and embrace them as opportunities and even, and even make, us, uh, ourself, make us happy because you've chosen to give us the privilege of... Uh, of learning through these uh, trials. And I pray that each person in here, Lord, that you will make them a witness this week, that others will look at their life and say, wow, uh, that guy or that gal or, or that group of folks has, a, has a, something I really want. Thank you for this body, Lord, and I pray for the service that's to come, that you'll uh, uh, pour your spirit out there and uh, give great hope and encouragement and that we will see you that you are and that you're a rewarder of those who seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.